Boom! Kamusta bro? How are you? Boy pa. Doing well? Uh, how was your jiu-jitsu bro? Nagkasakit ng konti so I haven't been, I haven't been training. Pero we promised to talk a little bit about the the last fight, diba? In, in yeah. Last oh yeah, yeah. John Jones, man. Yeah, dude. How did so, you think about it? So grabe, no? So I think so so yung finish yan na talagang nakakagulat no with with that with that with, with that guillotine from that really One strange hand, bro i i don't know how they did it from a really strange position so it's very interesting that the jujitsu class i did after that hulaan mo kung anong lesson namin what like chuchoka with one hand guillotine, guillotine from single arm guillotine from standing okay, like igaganon oh. kasi ang hirap di ba ang hirap oh. but probably it's also because john joe's has just as you know just like a beast Athleticism, right? I mean, yeah, athleticism. The, the neck, crack na yung skull nun eh. Oh, grabe. Sabi nga na, di ba, sabi nga nyo sa interview, di ba, just let me hold the guy. Basta makawa, tapos na. And he was corrected. Grabe talaga. This, uh, I mean, for them, ultimately, it's because he's just a great wrestler. I think yun yung, monster, I think yun yung malabas dito, parang grabe talaga yung, yung ascendance of, yeah, of wrestlers in, in, in MMA. And we, I remember we had this conversation before about wrestling versus jiu-jitsu in in yep. MMA and you know I mean they're 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 related disciplines but you just have to say that this is the era of wrestlers um yeah that's what they usually sport. say you know the wrestlers win except except there was another match happened last week Leon Edwards versus uh you know, versus Usman and guess what oh. jiu-jitsu won jiu-jitsu won Oh yeah yeah hindi naman complete I'm telling you man yeah oh. I'm telling If you combine jiu-jitsu with good striking, actually you can beat good wrestling because Usman is also top level wrestler, right? Eh yung lam- yung lamang din naman, yung lamang naman ng wrestlers is, is you know, yung training nila is not as Art. gentle as jiu-jitsu. Oh, right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the jiu-jitsu gyms are very tranquil well, sometimes, very tranquil places. It is the gentle sport. So I think yeah. I think um, you know, If you do jujitsu with like a you know kind of wrestler's conditioning and striking, that's that looks cool. But I mean, the good thing about the I don't know jujitsu probably compared to wrestling is that the the kind of like the pre-match the training injury rates are a bit lower. Oh. Second, the wrestlers and tasang injury rate nila eh. Siguro mas maganda para mas maganda para sa mga thunders kagaya ko. Kagaya kagaya natin de ba? Like because I have no. Um, I have no wrestling background, etc. So my dad's roots is from Caspian region. So that's where the best wrestlers on earth come from. No, so this is Azerbaijan, northern Iran, southern Russia, Chechnya, and I'm I'm like I'm embarrassing. I know I have no wrestling background. Wow. Right? So it's a, I have like relatives, friends. They're all like, we go wrestling. Don't touch me, bro. That's my insecurities. But I said, I don't think I want to do wrestling. Um, I want to do this uh, jiu-jitsu na lang. Sabi ko, mas parang pasok sa akin. Because it's very technical mind game, right? Cerebral, oh, cerebral. Very cerebral, oh. exactly. exactly. Oh, bueno. Uh, we, can, we can talk about this for hours, but I think... No, no, no. Topic, Wait for me. I'm going to do the transition. I'm going to have a topic for today. Okay, transition. I'm going to connect it sana to... Ano, eh. I wanted to say... Oh, like, sige, sige. Paano mo ito a-regluhin? Sige, sige. Yeah, hey, a-regluhin ko. Well, speaking of martial arts, of course, the Chinese are great in martial <laughs> arts and all, di ba? And then I'm going to connect it to Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee invented really mixed martial arts by, you know, you can argue that he's the guy that invented martial arts. But the other thing that the Chinese have invented is... TikTok, right? So that's what I want. Because you don't have trust and confidence. Masyado kang swabe, Brad. Masyado kang swabe. Just give me a little bit of time. I'll connect all that. So, 
Here we are. Fast forward through Boosley. Andito na tayo. Whoosh. Nasa TikTok na tayo. Kamusta bro? I mean, uh, nagtitiktok ka ba? Ako hindi ako, ako hindi ako nagtitiktok pang, pang, pang Gen Z yan eh. I'm, oh, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a hopeless, I'm a hopeless millennial, di ba? Um, there are many things about Gen Z I don't understand, you know, from from kind of like uh, some of their language politics to some of the fashion, you know, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't go back in time and dress like I did in the 90s, like yeah. I, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I don't get about Gen Z is like, is is dancing on TikTok. Um, so I am, I am getting older uh, and I have, and I am noticing like generational disparities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but, uh, TikTok is something I, I just, I, I don't, I don't I don't get it and I don't want to get into it because it's a bit of a time sink but and I understand the politics around TikTok and um right. I think that's a good place to begin uh bro uh TikTok as a kind of uh, analog or as a kind of jump, jump jumping off point to talk about what people have called the new cold war so why 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 why, why are we thinking about TikTok today in light of that yeah, well, actually, actually, last night I also watched a documentary of Navalny. I really suggest people to watch that. I mean, if you want to get some cojones in life and have political conviction, watch documentary of Navalny. And Navalny is so good in, in TikTok. And there are scenes there, I don't want to do spoiler, he teaches uh, his daughter, who's in Stanford right now, I think she's just 19, how to do TikTok videos and editing. Oh, so cool. I'm saying, Gen X na siya. So I'm just telling you, bro, it's not too late for, for older millennials like us, right? Or, or borderline people, right? Um, Going back to this, now, I mean, first of all, I think I want to come back to the hearing, uh, well, over the past few days. Na grill talaga yung TikTok CEO, very young guy. I mean, he found the TikTok, what, uh, just 2012 or something like that? Yeah. He's the typical young Chinese uh, ambitious guy who wants... He's Singaporean, man. I think he's Singaporean. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Asian. I want to say Asian yeah. guy who wanted to um, make sure that he can be like the Steve Jobs of Asia. My apologies for the Steve Jobs of Asia, etc. Zuckerberg. I, I want to say, well, I mean, there, but I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I'll get into trouble if I will. I, there's something I want to say. I said, never mind. But you can guess. But anyway, our Singaporean friend here. So he has been very successful about that. But um, I don't know. But if for people's knowledge, I don't know if you know that actually TikTok became TikTok because it bought out uh, an American uh, app few years ago. I was like musical or something. It's a, it's a musical app that actually you could like uh dance with it, video, etc. So it, it didn't it didn't come out of nowhere. It actually is based on some American platform and then like next level show like classic case of adaptation, evolution and next level. I don't know if you watch the uh hearings, it was really quite hostile. I really felt for the guy, for a Singaporean friend. Uh, but at the same time, I don't buy his argument that this was just racism, etc. I think that's just an easy cop out to say, oh, the, because I mean, he was really asked some legitimate question, like for instance, is TikTok uh, censoring discussions of Xinjiang? Uh, is uh, TikTok giving the government any access, or is there any point that the government of China can have access to to the data of tens of millions of Americans on this? So I think this was really where it was um, interesting. But for me, I'm very sure back home, Leloy. The videos of the grilling of the TikTok top guy are gonna go viral on Weibo, their own mm -hmm. version of Twitter, etc. In China, and I'm sure a lot of Chinese are gonna attach some sort of a nationalistic, uh, you know, tone to it and say like this is like the white man not accepting that China is now has its own global brand. Now, I want to ask you one question though, bro. Um, are you surprised by how quick China has uh, uh has managed to build global brands? 
like cars they're already leading uh, i mean i just saw a byd na kapit bahay uh, it's a tang car mm -hmm. byd it's, it looks great it looks better even than lexus right na suv really uh, i was very impressed like and then the batteries are the same as the batteries of tesla because that's the batteries made in china or even better right or even better yeah. potential at the rate they're going no uh, at the rate they're like getting it um, and, you know, we can talk about Elon Musk about where he's going, but anyway, that's a different topic. Yeah, I know. No, but 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 seriously, like, are you surprised about how how far the Chinese companies, car companies, electronics companies, Huawei, all of these people have come? TikTok. I mean, it's just ten years, right? Since yeah, yeah. I mean, TikTok for me is the most surprising one because it's the mo it's the greatest manifestation of Chinese soft power, in terms of production naman, you know, the Chinese are going to produce goods like cars. They're going to export a lot of things. But right. the weakness of the Chinese has always been they don't have the cultural institutions that the United States has. Wala silang Hollywood. And if, and, and you know, wala man silang yung, yung, yung C-pop or whatever, yung pop nila is not as famous as K-pop. Their movies are, nobody really watches mainland movies the way they'll watch, say, you know, they, they used or to watch Hong Kong movies. movies. Hong Kong movies, right? Or even now Korean movies. So they they they've always recognized na mahina sila sa soft power and maybe itong TikTok is is there is really the first manifestation of a kind of Chinese soft power because it 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 has eclipsed um brands like Facebook at least here in the United States it eclipses right. Facebook, you know, it eclipses even Instagram. These these social media companies now are are considered very stodgy. Um, in the right. context of TikTok, which has captured a, a new youth market, and of course, this market, that this is the most want to because this is the market that you know you can really advertise to, Reach as, opposed to uh, as opposed to mga, as opposed to the other ones. And um, what's surprising to me, of course, is you said there's a nationalist reaction in China, and that if if there is going to be a nationalist reaction in China, that's that's only because there was there has been a nationalist reaction in the United States, a kind of. By bipartisan fear yeah. of this symbol yeah. of Chinese soft power, right? So, so uh, you know, the Biden administration has been talking about an American company acquiring TikTok, right? That that actually didn't start with the Biden administration. Oh. That started with the Trump administration. So this is the you know China is the is the big bipartisan issue in the United States, which really tells you something about the mindset of the U.S., right? But paano naging bipartisan issue to Brad? Why why are people right? Thinking yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would say I had somehow a semi front row seat to this transition, right? So mm -hmm. I remember, of course, you know, my speaking stints, my writing for Ting Tangs in the DC really started 2014-15, right? I really got into the West Philippine Sea issue 2014-2013. My first book, Asia's New Battlefield, it already came out 2015. I remember during this time, I was considered a hawk, right? Going there to the Washington DC and saying, hey, I think we're a little bit too soft on China. I think we have to pay more attention. I think we have to help Philippines more. I think you cannot do what you did in Scarborough and just, you know, let us be, uh, mm. and leave us in the air, you know? Um, I no, and back then was, you know, we cannot, uh, you know, uh, strategic ambiguity is important. We mm -hmm. have to dialing the, the, the whole Obama shtick, right? Mm -hmm. That, mm -hmm. you know, the proper way forward is, you know, great power engagement. This was mm -hmm. also the time that the late Brz uh, Brzezinski, you know, the former National Security Advisor and professor at Columbia University, he had this big idea of G2, right? If you want mm -hmm. to solve the world problem, the two big guys have to come together. There were conver the, the, the term that we used to use a lot in, poli in political science international relations was condominium, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, the essentially a, a, a dyad, no? where the two big guys will kind of share the world, right? 
and and back then the Wall Street was also very big on China. Uh, big tech companies were also very invested in China. Remember, this is where also Zuckerberg was learning Mandarin. Of course, in white mm. uh, Chinese background, uh, Steve Cook, um, you know, of Apple was getting big into China. So back then, and I, we look like the cuckoo ones, right? And remember, we filed an arbitration case against China, and you know there was mm. a lot of skepticism when we talk about this arbitration case. But suddenly, wow. by 2017, 18 onwards, you know, like just Trump opened yeah. a floodgate. He yeah, just yeah, opened yeah. a floodgate, yeah. right? Uh, I, if, if I may, meron akong, just, just because this is a similar timeline, meron din akong ganyang experience, pero hindi kasing big time na experience mo. I, I, was in, I was in Japan during that time. Right, right. And of course, at that time, grabbing debate, debates about the mil- remilitarization of Japan under right. Abe. And I was in, and you know, among academics, of course, academics that have a left bent, liberal bent, yeah, exactly. They hated it, right? And no, I remember when my Japanese colleagues would say, do you want to join us uh, protesting against Abe's yeah. remilitarization? I would say, I'm sorry, I'm Filipino. And by that, I meant, <laughs> yeah. by that, I meant what, what I meant was, yeah, I understand it sucks for Japan that you're going to spend a lot of your money which could have gone to social services into the military. That sucks for you. But as a Filipino, useful sa akin na magre-rearm ang Japan against China because I thought that China was trying to colonize us. Right. So, so I, I I was also hawkish at that time, and in Japan, you know, at least the circles I hung hung out in, you know, it, it wasn't a very popular position. But yeah, know, was... I mean, I mean, let's let's be honest. They they will use the F word, right, for some of these Japanese leaders that we in the Philippines actually see as great allies. No, so I I found I have found myself in a weird spot. I you know also remember remember 2015 is also when Aquino was giving the speech at the Japanese Diet and essentially endorsing mm. proactive Japan. I mean. I yeah, yeah, yeah. SPR for Abe's regional plan. That's how important oh. it was So, so you were there at the perfect time. But sa mo sa akin yun yung moment na napamahal si Abe talaga kay Noy Noy no. I think he told me this. And, in, and the other, time. yeah, yeah. And and Noy Noy visited seven times Japan, like crazy, like crazy. Mm-hmm. And Abe, Abe son, you know, uh, he also mediated between Trump and Duterte. So before Trump mm-hmm. came to Philippines, you yeah. know, in November two thousand seventeen. He did his own golf diplomacy. And of course, that was a few months after he did his own durian diplomacy, right? Oh. Or you breakfast in bedroom with, with oh. and bongo. Remember that? Yes, 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 yes. So, bro, yeah. So this is really the transition period. Okay, right? so let's talk, let's let's talk about the transition. So, how did it get from you know you're a hawk to now you're kind yeah. of like mainstream so I, in the United right. States? So 2017, 2018, a number of very influential articles come up. Uh, and it's by no less than people like you know, we know these people, Eli Ratner, who's now one of the top guys at the Pentagon. Uh, and the other one is, I think, by Kurt Campbell, right? Who's the who's supposed to be the architect of pivot to Asia of Obama. And I, I, I really suggest you check this article on Foreign Affairs magazine because this is where the floodgates were open as far as the the DC blob is concerned, right? You know, the, the, the elite circle strategic thinkers. And the idea was this. Let's admit it, we got China wrong. That the engagement, like economics, will overcome politics. It's not happening. It's actually the other way around. China is using economics to reinforce its political system. And it's just a matter of time that they'll try to challenge us, if not already. No? And then, of course, this is also... So this- let's, unpack, uh, let's, un- let's unpack that assumption, though, um, yeah. for, for our listeners. An assumption beginning with Nixon, but actually I think it went into overdrive during the years of Bill Clinton, which is kung, kung payamanin mo yung China, essentially a richer country will democratize. Because yun yung, yun yung theory at that time, di ba? a bigger middle class is a class that wants democracy, and all you need to do is trade with them, create that middle class. Organization theory. Yeah, more democratic. 
and, and that really went into overdrive under uh, under Clinton. But that's 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 really that's that was the policy of the United States ever since they opened relations with China. Because prior to that, and diplomatic relations in the U.S. was really with with Taiwan, right? And then right. according to Carlos P. Romulo, because him and Marcos uh, opened diplomatic relations with the People's Republic of China, sumurad ang U.S. Right. I mean, of the, course, that's a very Filipino... Yeah, that's, a bit of, that's an overly Philippine-centric per- perspective. But anyway, so... So there's an acknowledgement and a failure, and and why 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 were people saying that that it failed that you can't trade yeah. your way into a more into a more democratic China? Well, I mean, first of all, let's keep in mind there was an awkward period uh, from the taunt that Henry Kissinger kind of oversaw under Nixon because remember there was a Tiananmen massacre, right? Mm. So actually, under George Bush Senior, there was a weird situation there, no, mm. uh, with China. Actually, there were sanctions on China, etc. But really, it, you're right, absolutely right. With Bill Clinton, it was really back to this idea that mm-hmm. China is just too big to be isolated and you'd rather have them on our side. The same way we helped Japan and Germany to get on our side by opening up to them. And of course, the the the, the really important milestone was the entry of China to the World Trade Organization. This is by 2001. Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton heavily went for it. He was like really the PR guy for China to get into the double. Oh, no. yeah. And this is the classic liberal Wall Street argument. If China becomes rich, as you said, there's more engagement, there'll be more interdependence, and the more there's economic interdependence, the more it creates structural constraints on geopolitical assertiveness of China. Mm-hmm. If not, there's a time when right? McDonald's, in the 90s, McDonald's, McDonald's station. Day. That's why Donald Trump suggested there'll be McDonald's in Pyongyang. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, of McDonald's, oh, right? Oh. No, but but going back to this, so that was the idea, right? And he, people like Henry Paulson, who was the <clears throat> guy of of I'm sorry, Treasury guy of of Bush, for instance, he was also a Goldman Sachs guy, and he played a very important role in opening up China's market. He advised uh top uh Zhongji, for instance, the premier of China throughout the 1990s, 2000. So there was a time, Lelo, believe it or not, Goldman Sachs guys were essentially running, kind of running the finance ministry of China. So you cannot blame some of these Americans getting full of themselves and thinking like, hey, you see, Chinese are open to us. So maybe like Japan and Korea, especially like Japan, we can turn them in our favor. If Germans could become an ally after everything, why not mm. the Chinese? And remember, China was an ally of the West under Kuomintang, right? Remember, that's why the question when they went communist was who lost China. Now, moving forward here, clearly the evidence was First of all, there's no reciprocity. So you trade with China, right? The U.S. opens up itself. I mean, the U.S. allows American uh, investments goes in, but but it's not like the Chinese are, uh, for instance, allowing a lot of other uh, companies to get in, like big tech companies like Facebook or Twitter, mm. etc. Tapos, tapos pag pumasok sila, baka nakawan pa ng technology. And then they also do not allow a lot of American or Western companies to enter into critical sectors of China, like for mm-hmm. instance, like telecom, etc. More than that, Lele, you of course know that China also essentially bullied a lot of these foreign companies to give up their technology. The idea is that I'll give you five-year market access after five years, give me all the technology you got. That's why they suddenly have all of these nice cars and Huawei, yeah, yeah, yeah. etc. So there were few. I was uh, I was actually talking to a cancer researcher. He he's uh, he's based in the Bay Area and he's funding a lot of cancer research. And there was this one time that Merendo silang negotiations with China about some new cancer technology and the chinese government had said okay we're going to we're going to let you come in um and so but but before that mag pitch muna kayo sa amin tell us what the technology is all about after the pitch though when they get an idea of what the technology was about 
hindi na sila hindi na sila sinagot hindi na sila sinagot and wala na nangyari dun sa plano so that's very typical I think that's, that story is illustrative right and then of course remember there was also this big expose by Bloomberg of China kind of putting like mini chips inside some of the technology to essentially spy corporate espionage and Obama called it out and then this is where papasok ang Pilipinas of course mahalaga tayo di ba yung nangyari sa West Philippines yung Chinese artificial island construction the Philippine Arbitration Award case so So Lele, all of these things were coming together, no? China not being helpful on a lot of issues, uh, at the same time China being headache on a lot of issues, China stepping up its threats to Taiwan, China stepping up its aggressiveness in the South China Sea, China not having a reciprocal economic relationship, very close to many investments, uh, you know, technology stealing, all of these things. And so the argument was like, what is your evidence to say that more economic engagement with China has made China more like us or at least less hostile? If anything, it's moving the other direction. And of course, the big person I didn't mention, Lelo, is Xi Jinping. Because yes. Yeah. Oh, he's a oh, 2013 to 2017-18, this is where he completely consolidates power and gets rid of the collective leadership system. So China became even more authoritarian, not mm-hmm. less authoritarian. So the complete Deng Xiaoping collective leadership system was gone. So when Eli Ratner and all come in. Remember, Eli Ratner used to be the, I think, national security advisor of Biden as the vice president when Biden was vice president. Kurt Campbell was Obama's top guy, architect of the pivot to Asia. So when you have Democrats saying we got China wrong, we cannot. That engagement doesn't work. And then you have Donald Trump coming out and saying we have to impose tariffs and all. You de facto have a bipartisan positioning mm-hmm. here. And the next thing you know. China doesn't help its case, Lelo, because uh, we have the advent of what you call the wolf warrior diplomacy, right? Remember, there's this Rambo-style movie in China. They beat up the Americans. Ang pangalan nila wolf warrior. So the next thing you know, the Chinese diplomats are so aggressive. You know, they say things right and left. So by 2019 onwards, you know, uh, we were primed already for a very, very tense relationship between China and United States. And, the, and Xi Jinping, if there are two things that are constant about Xi Jinping are this. First, He likes crisis because crisis allows him to uh, to create the sense of urgency for consolidation power. And Xi Jinping is a man of history, a big man of history. He wants to be a big man of history, right? So when you put all of these ingredients together, really, I I, I don't think status quo was working anymore. So this bipartisan context makes, makes sense. And lastly, I would say, Lelo, let's be honest. Americans cannot accept a real challenge to themselves. We saw what they did to Japan in the 1970s and 80s. Plaza Accord, we discussed that. Uh, and... Well, they're feeling that the Chinese are are reaching the Americans in terms of GDP size, in terms of technology. So I think all of these things came together. So if there's one thing that can bring Americans together in a very polarized situation is threat to their global hegemony or number one state. You know, you, I mean, we 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 have to admit both in the United States and in the Philippines, one of the reasons why matunog yung Chinese issue is because, frankly, there is is there is racism. I mean, there are valid reasons to fear China. Of course, it's an authoritarian state. Yung ginagawa niya yung concentration camps sa Xinjiang. But if you look at the tenor of, like, especially the Republican Party, and even here in the even in the Philippines, you know, with people like Winnie Monsod, for example, there are real racist cases being made to contain China, and that that part is scary. So I think it requires a kind of requires a delicate balance here. On the one hand, you need to be able to crit- criticize the Chinese state for being authoritarian. But on the other hand, you you need to be careful about criticizing Chinese people. And that, that of course, became the problems at it when you had really racist columns by people like Winnie Minsod, Manong Frankie Jose, who just conflated Chinese people with the Chinese state. And I think you get some of that here in the U.S. Like Donald Trump, for example, you know, when he 
when he blamed China for COVID and called it, called it the China virus, you know, acts of uh, anti-Asian violence here. Um, so we are in a in a delicate position and major pasakali lang yun. The next question actually I wanted to ask you is the other thing that confounds this apart from Xi Jinping's personality and he really wants to become the next Mao Zedong, right? That's why there's Xi Jinping thought. The other thing that confounds this is ideas from certain sectors that there is a kind of new axis that's emerging that parang we're, we're in a we're in a place similar to you know before world war ii where you know mm-hmm. mussolini and hitler become allies and now you know the new axis is supposedly diba, um putin and xi jinping what are your thoughts on this idea that there's a new axis yeah um actually this is something that it's it's one of the few things that quite surprised me you know it's because for a long time i've been very skeptical of this what they call bear dragon, dragon bear, whatever, right? Um, why? Because, you know, if, if you talk to Russians throughout the decade, they'll tell you one of their biggest fears is their huge border with China. And that mm-hmm. area, Siberian region, is very energy-rich, but very sparsely populated. Mm-hmm. And more and more Chinese businessmen coming in, marrying locals, taking over, you know, essentially, make, you, you know what I'm saying, right? right? So, in fact... One reason why Russia keeps a very large nuclear stockpile is because it knows there's no way that it can conventionally hold China back at some point. So the nuclear weapons are actually less about NATO, Mm. but more about potential. So this was the state of discussion. And then remember, there's also, this is where it gets interesting. On the far right, you have people like Steve Bannon saying, we have to create a grand Christian alliance, right? White alliance, right? Russia, Europe, we're all the same. And then in Germany, there's always this, the the dream alliance the the russo german alliance right so there's that mm-hmm. far right version but interestingly even biden when early on he came into power his number one priority was to drive a wedge between russia and china because it knew we know what's happening right so if you look at really this uh, the the geopolitics of the past century in the most mm-hmm. simplistic term it's defined by three major powers right russia china us or at least you can say that's the one oh, of the full triangles right oh my no for a long time, China was the junior partner in this, right? Uh, Soviet was a massive power on its own. U.S. was a massive power. China was a junior one. But the Russians are realizing not only are they a junior to the U.S., increasingly they're becoming junior to China. Mm-hmm. And junior in what sense, Leloy? They're being forced to sell their oil and gas dirt cheap, right? They're being mm-hmm. forced, uh, um, Leloy, to give up their high-tech Military technology. I mean, the Russians don't have much of a high-tech left, right? Their only high-tech is like fifth-generation fighter jets, uh, some missile systems. They have hypersonic missiles. They're essentially being forced to give up all of that uh, by mm. China because... Uh, so this is before Ukraine invasion, uh, the full invasion. This is like... This is post-Crimea invasion, right? So Russia is not totally isolated yet during this time. It's mm. still engaging with Europe, etc. So there was a legitimate... Uh, hope, I think, by a lot of people to make sure Russia doesn't go fully into embrace of China. At the same time, there was also hope that China, that Xi Jinping will be rational enough not to get too much in bed with Putin because Putin is a little bit impulsive, as we saw in, mm. in, in Crimea, Lose, invasion of Georgia. Yeah, mm. And remember, Russia is a declining power structurally, shrinking population, economy really not dynamic. China, time is on its side, at least on the surface, right? So why would you want to side with a party that is kind of structurally in decline, right? When oh, you're structured. You know, so it doesn't make sense, right? It makes sense for, for US to try, for China to try to make. So the Chinese strategy, this was the mirror, Leloy. They want uh, to drive a wedge between Europe and US. Just yeah, if the US uh, goes crazy, we'll have Europe on our side. And this uh, is where 
I'm quite surprised at how weird things turned out. So, Lela, I'll tell you this. Last year in Munich Security Conference, I was there. So this is just a week before the invasion of Ukraine. Um, so uh, Zelensky was there. Kamala Harris was there. But the other person who was there was Wang Yi, the former foreign minister and, and now the state councillor. Um, he was there and he sounded in a very neutral way. Like we respect, you know, we want to respect the integrity, sovereignty. You, you could clearly see Wang Yi wanted to impress the Europeans to say, hey, we're not just like those crazy guys. You know, we're, we're sounding all about it. That's why I'm honestly quite surprised. But the part of me is still skeptical how much of this is really Xi Jinping and Putin being pals for life. Because mm. I know, of course, there's psychological reason. First of all, we know that Xi Jinping is obsessed about the decline of Soviet Union. He reads a lot of Russian literature. I think one thing we have in common, hopefully it's the only thing. I could, but I yeah, he likes, he likes. And then they're almost the same age. I think like a few mm -hmm. months like difference in love. So I was like, it's creepy, right? So, and then there's also, Putin also likes Xi Jinping very much. There, there's just some sort of a romance there that is oh, quite... Oh, you macho bromance. Because he didn't have that with Hu Jintao, or I don't know, mm -hmm. Zhang Zemin or whatever, right? Uh, age gap, uh, you know, personality. Mm -hmm. But with this guy, Xi Jinping, he has that kind. I think they met 41 times, right? Mm -hmm. So, may amor talaga. And then, obviously, as a, uh, yung, yung pinaka-obvious na nakikita ng mga tao is you have two authoritarian leaders who have essentially built their countries around them, who have created a cordon sanitary around them that prevent any form of criticism, that essentially isolate them not only from their countries, but from, you know, the rest of the world. And then the big similarity that people see is that these are people who are vehemently against the U.S.-led post-war order and who want to turn that around, right? So, you know, Putin, he hates NATO. And then, um, and then of course, um, for Xi Jinping, he, he doesn't like the kind of projection of American power in, in the Pacific. So on on that level, Deva, there there's there's that kind of affinity. Um, should we are, are, should we read a lot into that? Is this is there more to it than my the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Yeah. So my understanding here is um, Xi Jinping is not giving up on at least his pretension to still trying to help Ukraine and Russia to come together. So he still had the Zoom call or some a phone call whatever with Zelensky. Obviously, the Ukrainians are not happy because suddenly. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And evidence is coming out, Leloy, that the Chinese are actually providing drones and mm. some weaponries. Guess what? Via Turkey, which is a NATO member. Right? So Isko. it's a pang, ano yan, it's a pang pasawayan yung Turkey na yan under uh. Kuya and uh, Tatay Ardoan, di ba? Uh, maybe next next month, let's talk about Turkey because they're going to have an elections. And that's a big mm. one, Leloy. There's a lot to discuss there, interestingly, because Erdogan is another big, is is kind of like the Putin of the Middle East, right? Now, but going mm. down here, um, no, the, the thing I say is, I don't know. A part of me feels Xi Jinping is kind of torn, right? Because mm -hmm. the rational Xi Jinping says this, I'm just going to come here and juice out Putin and just help Putin just enough not to be fully decimated. Because, of course, the war in Ukraine also drains NATO, right? The mm -hmm. longer the war in Ukraine goes, the harder for Europe to help U.S. here in the uh -huh. Pacific, right? Second, the longer the war goes, the more Russia is going to be desperate, the more they'll rely on China, the more China can juice it out. Cheap oil, mm. cheap gas, cheap military technology, right? Uh, but at the same time, I think there's a part of uh, uh, Xi Jinping which is thinking like, but I mean, why not? Parang aladigong. It's you and me against the world. I think there is a part of him that is thinking about like, Ride or die, baby. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a point when you flirt with someone and then like, you kind of feel it. But, you know, you know, like, mm, I'm not sure it's going to work. And then like one day, like, 
damn it, let's go! You know? Ay na lang, oh. Let's go! I think there's, may pagkaganon. And minsan, nag-ano eh, nag-Freudian sleep or may, may sleep of tongue. Ito si Xi Jinping. So, nung mag-goodbye na siya kay Putin. Remember, the opening, when they were coming together, you quickly see Putin was really like that and she's like that. But towards the end, suddenly, Xi Jinping, you know, said something like, you know, I know you two, two of us together, we're going to change the history for the next hundred years. <laughs> What's going on here, right? You know, Putin goes like that, like, oh. I mean, like, man, it's like, it's a, it's a weird bromance. I'm telling you, bro. I mean, oh. it's a stuff of novel, right? So I think a part of Xi Jinping, because he's a lonely guy, right? Oh. No oh. one is his level. Putin is the only guy, even if diminished na siya, yung, yung kutspan ni Putin, I think he kind of likes that, right? De, tsaka sa loob, wala na mga kaib- I mean, the thing is, if you're you're if you're if on top, and if you're on top of a local lonely, bureaucracy, bro. it's lonely on top, kasi no, wala ka ng kaibigan yan eh, kasi you try to befriend that, yung mga people who want to befriend, yung matatakot sila sa'yo, so they become supplicants, supplic- yes, psychopaths. Right, uh, so it's very lonely there. No, you get it. I'm sure you got it. With you want to appear. You want to appear, right? You want to appear because if there's one man, Lele, who was uh, who has been the 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 strong man the longest in our in our lifetime is Putin, right? 20 years, oh, or mm. uncontested. Think of anyone else who has that that long of a of charge in charge of a major power. No one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one. So, uh. Obviously, democrat democracy na yung mga yeah, yeah, yeah. Mga well well there's uh there, there's Hun Sen, the longest serving prime no, minister but, I, you know, I said major, major power major power oh i'm sorry <laughs> of course you can find me a lot of puny dictators oh, like oh. no offense to them right uh or you can find middle power authoritarian oh. leaders like you know saudi arabia ganun. but i'm talking about major powers oh, so, yeah, yeah. you cannot relate to middle or low exactly so so yeah But this is where I'm going to ask you, okay? I'm going to come back at you, bro. Genito, do you think it's even appropriate to use the word new Cold War? I mean, in 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 what sense is it similar to the Cold War as you understand it as a historian? And in what ways it's is it not similar? And then I'm going to throw my own crazy idea here. Alam mo, ibabalik, ibabalik ko to sa'yo, unfortunately, because yung reading ko nito actually comes from ah. you. The reading ko nito comes from you, which is that the Cold War never really ended. Right, right, the right. The Cold War never really ended. Meron ka lang sleeper cold. Meron ka lang sleeper Cold War because the because the the USSR is nothing compared to okay. contemporary China. So right. in a way, ni sabi mo parang alam mo pala yung argument ng computer game parang natalo mo yung boss pero actually as you were beating the boss, the real boss was was a kind of sleeper. Uh, so or if you want to turn this into a, an Avengers kind of thing, you thought you thought Thanos was the boss. But actually, there there's there's still Kang the Conqueror uh, yeah. down the line, right? The real challenge right. is a sleeper challenge down the line, and um, one of the reasons why you why we didn't think it was a a an extension of the Cold War was because we you know the United States deceived itself into thinking that there was this new mode of neoliberal engagement through right, trade right, right. that would that would change the situation so in a way you know the reason why we don't think we why we think of it as a new cold war is because there was this moment this end of history moment where you know the liberal powers thought na panalo na when in fact nandiyan siya nandiyan siya because you know as you said Tiananmen Square naman eh never naman naging hindi authoritarian yung China diba you know it went into overdrive under Xi Jinping but you know 
I mean, it's a com. It's a single party. It's always been a single party state, right? It 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 is an authoritarian state, and it it's a it's a scary place to be. So, yun yung sagot ko sa yon. Ang ang ba ang, ang balik ko sa yun ito is you know because this is nexus. Asa na Pilipinas? Asa na Pilipinas dito? Kasi parang ang gulo-gulo ng Pilipinas, de ba? Parang yeah, I know, I know. from Noy Noy to Digong to Marcos, and of course, ang lumalabas ngayon is maybe Digong is the outlier. You know, maybe actually there is a continuity That's in a Philippine point. foreign policy. Um, uh, and and Digong was just like that that brief moment where you know the foreign policy went berserk a little bit, and now we're kind of like back to normal. Right, right. Now, yeah, I mean, first of all, I completely agree with you. I mean, or, or I agree with you citing me, right? Oh. <laughs> but, but I, I, Adam Tooze kind of also influenced me slightly on this. But my, my idea was this is the real Cold War because, hmm. I mean, first of all, I think the idea of new Cold War, I'm sorry, Cold War never made sense because it was never cold. There was a lot of back and forth mm. wars, and uh, you know, and it, so it, so the old Cold War was questionable on that. And second is what you also said, which is. Soviet Union was was really not a match. I mean, its economy was puny compared to the combined alliance and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it was over always overrated, right? It was an overrated boogeyman. So in short, yeah, to be Shakespearean, it was the opening yeah. act. It was. I, just, I mean, I mean, yeah. let, let me just let me just tell you this. Remember, in the 1950s, when Khrushchev went to the United States, he was amazed at the technology of the United States, using right. washing machines, all right. these consumer right. products that they. So it was a technologically backward society in that sense. How can you win a cold? If your technology is so backward, you know, if a Chinese leader goes to the United States, sees the technology of the United States, they'll say, you know, I I see that we have that, right? That's that's so yeah, different from the better. way Khrushchev would interact with American presidents. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing in the U.S. that will impress Xi Jinping. Like, yeah. had Xi Jinping visit U.S., like, there's nothing impressed. Like, he'll actually be impressed how backward the Americans are. Oh, like, oh, oh. this is your Facebook. I mean, look at my TikTok. I don't know if you've tried the. It's it's crazy the algorithm. Oh, your trains and then, you know your, your trains, trains are slow. I mean, that's what the Chinese Your cars this. are an old model. All their cars are EV, ten times better uh-huh. than Tesla and cheaper. Like, so you're absolutely right. That's a very good way. Of putting it like if Xi Jinping were to visit the US today he'll be actually embarrassed for this like this is the best you got to show us so even in military like China has two fifth generation fighter operating and they're like two seaters right I mean if you want to go top gun about it so you may question the quality but they're going to get there it's just a matter of time no now going back to this Philippines uh, so my sense is just when we were like finding our footing in the post-cold war era the real one happened And this is even more in your face. So I don't know if you want to see Tatay. It's like, it's like, so now, okay, okay, tapos ng cold war. Ano nang gagawin natin dito? Biglang, whoa! Diba? Parang ganun ang nangyari, bro. Eh. So I think, and then, after <coughs> Tatay, junior, diba? Like Magellan Jr. Oh. Like, I mean, can you imagine how stressful the job of these people is? Kaya na sabi ko, bro, eh. First of all, going back to Tatay, the one reason why I think he was like all over the place is, imagine this, bro. You're a long-time mayor in, in a, in a, you know non-capital city to put it nicely like, i don't want to offend her, right? I, didn't, i don't mean it in a bad way i'm from baguio okay provinciano din ako but but what i'm saying here is you go from that and then you're president of country in the middle of an emerging new cold war and then suddenly you're on forbes magazine china xi jinping is calling you donald trump is calling you lelo you put yourself in the space in, in the in the in, you know i'm not excusing his craziness but i'm saying diba <laughs> Grabe, di ba? And then now, ngayon naman si Magellan Jr., he suddenly found <laughs> himself from posh diplomacy and Grand Prix diplomacy to like 
oh, oh, this is serious. Like, oh my goodness, a war could happen in Taiwan, right? Oh, like, oh, oh, I think oh. like, I, I don't want to say I feel for these guys, but like, I think these guys really had some sleepless nights here and there. So I think mm-hmm. I think some of that is true. I think he had some sleepless nights. <laughs> I think the same thing for Marcos Jr. Now, speaking of the Philippines, of course, Leloy, we cannot do it the way we did it during Marcos Sr., Because now the China is the big boy, not Russia or Soviet Union anymore. Number two, we cannot also do it like Aquino days because U.S. is not as dominant as it used to be just even 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. right? And definitely the Tatay Digong way also didn't work because we forward deployed all concessions and got nothing out of China. Mm-hmm. But this is where, Lela, I think China is also showing weakness. In what sense? You know, you see, if you, you mentioned some guy, Hunsen, right? Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Because my sense, Leloy, was the Chinese thought, and when I say Chinese, not Xi Jinping, but his, his envoy here, the guys who are studying the Philippines in, in their departments here, I think they thought Duterte is like a Hunsen. Like, oh, we got Duterte, the rest of the country will follow. They didn't oh. appreciate it. This is Mexico of Asia, right? Ah, There are 10 veto players. There's the AFP. There are the senior diplomats, assistant secretary. Who don't want to sign any joint exploration agreement. There's the Philippine media, which sometimes mm. goes, you're right, a little bit even, you know, prejudicial to China. So many factors that what made it very difficult for Philippines to turn out like a bigger Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we saw the limits of China because China, yeah. the Philippines is either just an American puppet or a bigger Hun Sen. And now they're yeah. realizing Philippines is actually a complicated country, a messy yeah. country, and their politicos are unreliable. One day they tell you something, mm-hmm. the other day they tell you another thing. Case in point, Marcos Jr. He says one thing in Beijing and another thing in Davos within the span of two weeks. Yeah, so I think the Chinese are now having their moment of like, What are we going to do about the Philippines? But let me make this argument. Um, this is probably controversial um, because I don't want to give credit to either Duterte or Marcos Jr. on this necessarily. But my sense, Leloy, I hope I'm not being overly romanticizing. I think the Philippines is actually in a strategic sweet spot. Yes. And I'll explain you why. Genito, so we have now the ETCA, right? But... Mm. How we will implement the etka? Pede natin idribolian, pede natin itwikian. Like ano exactly? Pede natin dipansirin under digong. Exactly. So pede natin balikan. So my point is, um, the etka suddenly gave us a leverage with China. So when mm. we talk to China, we can tell to them, ganito para ya. Ganito. Kung wala kang investment yan in the next two years, eto ang bibigay namin sa mga Amerikano. Yung mavulis, yung fuga, yung kakayan, Isabela, gano'n. Pa- pa- nag-invest ka, baka naman pare, pwede naman medyo, you know, we can do that. Actually, Ayimikin ng konti yung mga kano. Oh. Bro, we, we can do that. And and I'll tell you this, bro, the Americans are not like 50 years ago as some leftist comrades would say, right? Like, they, they control the Philippines. It's not like that anymore, bro. Oh. The US is, they cannot impose themselves on us. Tapos na yan. I was just talking to Robin Caranza, no? Uh, we had a mm-hmm. podcast the other day. I suggest people check it. Robin Caranza was telling me, I didn't know that, that Bush was bullying us not to join ICC. We still joined the ICC. I think this is a yeah, lot, yeah. right? So actually, behind the scenes, there are many times we said no to the Americans. It's not true that Americans, you know, were like the puppet of America. It's not true. And Tatay Digong showed that actually can defy them and even more and get away with it. So the, the, we can say no now to America and we can say yes when it serves our purpose. So in short, if magaling talaga si Marcos Jr., he can make the most out of this strategic sweet spot. Hmm. So, magaling, sasayangin na lang natin ito and we'll be in big trouble in two to three years. Yeah, yeah. Let's go crazy in Taiwan. Yeah. I, I want to I wanna slightly dwell on what you were saying. That one of the reasons why Filipinos don't understand the China conflict is we have a generation of, let's admit it, baby boomers 
who were raised in the old Cold War and raised in the immediate post-war period, wherein the American State Department really had a stake in the Philippines and would really deploy CIA agents in the Philippines. You know, pa- panahon ni Magsaysay, where you had Edward Lansdale battling the hoax, right? And, you know, ang politics sa kanila is every time there's a white person and you're not sure about what the politics of the white person are, tatawagin mong CIA, di ba? Ganyan, ganyan yung style, di ba? Parang this idea that the United States is is lurking in every corner. And then, of course, when you read it from that perspective, kung anti-US yung perspective mo, you say, oh, I, maybe China's better because actually, you know, they're run by a communist party, right? Because we we have a lot of boomers who who like the idea of Mao Zedong and who like the idea of a communist or at the very least a non-capitalist alternative to the United States. So they bring those Cold War politics and they read present politics using that perspective. And you get really absurd diagnoses of the situation. And one can hope, Richard, that when we're old, that when we're when we're in our 70s and that we're in our 80s, we're not we are not using the experiences of today to read the Philippines of that period because we, we just really need to grow with the times and you know geopolitics shifts. And if you don't acknowledge those shifts in geopolitics, and of course. The growth of the Philippine state as an independent, as, a, as an independent sovereign entity, it's just gonna mess up, mess up the reading of things, and it's it, it's you know it's very frustrating seeing these people comment now. You know, I'm tempted to say I don't want to be ungenerous, pero para magretire na kayo, please, tama na. Or maybe listen, maybe do more podcasts. You know, I mean, like one reason huh. why. I mean, Lila, I could have easily be part of the blob, right? You know, I'm mm. all, all these think tank circles. But the reason mm. why I'm not absorbed by it, I always can think, at least I feel independent, is because I'm very active on social media, engaged uh. with people from very different backgrounds, right? Mm. So that helps me to keep updated. Mm. And there are assumptions oh. that always revisit. So technology yeah. and interaction forces yeah. me to constantly update. So I, I like that term, though, the blob. And that is actually my next question to you. Um, In the United States, right? and if you read Obama's memoirs, he says that, there's only so much a U.S. president can do with respect to foreign policy because there is a blob. And by by blob, he means yung mga think tanks, yung mga, state, mga people who are in the current State Department, mga ex-State Department people, academics, who cannot create an ideational and institutional um, space where that, that constrains foreign policy making. And, 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 you know, it creates certain givens in Philippine, uh, in U.S. foreign policy, like, for example, support for Saudi Arabia, which was a very right. difficult challenge during his time. I want to ask you about the Philippines because, you know, you said that China was surprised we were not Honsen and that, you know, Duterte could not just alter the course of Philippine right. foreign policy. This Green is a similar lob of, um, you know, inertia that, that creates a kind of foreign policy inertia. Or does that exist in the Philippines? Does that obtain in the Philippines? It's a very different. It's a very different context in the Philippines. So in the Philippines, you essentially have interest group-based think tanks, mm. right? Which have more or less fixed points of view, and I don't think their points of view actually evolves that much over time. That's the sense I have. So, uh, you know, a lot of supposed think tanks here are at least attached either to some business group or to some former top political diplomat. Uh, yeah, exactly. You mm-hmm. right? No, and some wow. have, have good stuff to offer. I think you know uh, the, the the. But but the point is, um, well, in the... ADRD, actually, no, no, actually, I want to say ADR actually does a pretty good job. Right? Oh. And in fairness, uh, people like Dindo Manhid, uh, you know, I've, I've been interacting with him since my Lasalle days, right? In fairness, I can see his views are constantly updated. He's in tune with things. But if you look at the others, I don't want to name names. It's like there's like collection of ex-diplomats with their you know internal echo chambers, etc. And then they're like this 
fake think tanks by some businessman who clearly has an interest in another country and pushing their agenda. You know, so I, I don't think, first of all, the think tank culture is as mature. Uh, and then the thing I said with think that uh, with, with the blob, remember, blob uh, is a, is like a politically correct version of a deep state or something like that, right? Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, yeah, I, the Philippines, even the state itself is incomplete to even have mm. a, you know, like, so I don't <laughs> see as much parallel there. And and let's be honest, in the Philippines, intellectuals don't have as much influence. Uh. As but but let, let, let me say, I mean, let me just say that, you know, there 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 are institutions in the Philippines that prevent complete 180s. Like, the pinakamalaking example dito is Delphine Lorenzana, right? Insofar right. as there's a you know, foreign policy defense blob in the Philippines. And Delphine Lorenzana is kind of your perfect representation of a kind of post-war Philippine defense leader, right? He He's very right. close to the United States. He went to the United States and then he became a general and became secretary of defense and kind of maintained the special relationship between the U.S. and the Philippines, despite the fact that, you know, his principle was kind of, kind of going crazy. And in fact, very interesting because his experience as Secretary of Defense mirrored the experience of being Secretary of Defense Trump, the right? si, si Sec Secretary Pades, who, yeah. who, who was actually more of a conventional blob-type um, Secretary of Defense in, uh, uh, who was also beholden to a kind of nutty, uh, uh, off-kilter yeah. president. But but not a yes-man. But not a yes-man. Not man. a yes-man, yeah, yeah. Defied. He resigned, you know? So, hmm. friends with Lorenzana, my sense with him, I mean... He lasted, oh. He lasted, and and I know that you know he 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 held his own ground here and there. And in fairness to him, he you know he spilled the beans once in a while. So actually, Lorenzana is a fascinating case. You no, know? I called him the Matis of the Philippines, and a lot of foreign friends were kind of like trying to you know they they use it. But I mean, my point is, um, yeah, he's better. He's better because he was able to he was able to ride the ship, and he was able to stay there. But but the thing that the kind of stability of the Department of Defense. Lorenzana is a special case because he used to be a veteran defense attaché for like 10 years in D.C. So he's very mm -hmm. used to the think tank culture. So he's very mm -hmm. confident to engage in policy debate, wonky debates. That's why he was very we were very comfortable together, right? Yeah. I'm not sure our other defense ministers have been like that. No, if you look at the more traditional generals, you know, like they're more operational, tactical guy. They don't want to talk about big strategy, etc. Especially in the case of the Philippines. Now, there's a chance that Gibo becomes the next defense minister. At least this is the... This is the information I'm getting. So let's see. Maybe Gibo will have a different approach because I think Gibo, aside from Lorenzana, was among our more um, interesting, dynamic defense minister, I would say. Mm -hmm. Mercado is another interesting guy. So I think these two oh, yeah, yeah. defense ministers impressed me. These are the defense ministers who were not overshadowed by the foreign ministers because usually the foreign secretaries in the Philippines are the senior secretary and the defense guy is more like the operation logistics guy. But when Lorenzana was there, Gibo was there, and Mercado was there, they were the more they, they held their own. So I look forward to seeing because I with you know with Charlie with Carlito Galvez I you know he's a very great operational tactical guy very polite guy great guy but you know I still want to see more how he opens with strategic discussion and all. But again, just ending on the Philippines on this discussion of new Cold War Cold War, I mean the the thing I say here uh, Lelo is as the Philippines becomes more developed, right? Um, because umangat naman tayo eh some interesting questions are emerging and difficult mm. questions are emerging because at some point we have to decide because the big thing right now is the the um the great uh, technological uh you know iron curtain that is coming out no whereby us 
doesn't want to use Chinese semiconductors, China is developing its own semiconductors. So I think this is, we're now speaking economics, right? So if the Philippines wants to move up the value chain, create more and more sophisticated products, et cetera, at some point we'll have to choose now, Leloy. And this is the problem I have because suerte yung mga kapitbahay natin because they globalized earlier than us in terms of their supply chains, Malaysia, Thailand, mm. et cetera. They had a time where they can have the cake and eat it too. Be nice to China, be nice to... But things are going to get very tricky for us, uh, Leloy. And yeah. one argument I'm hearing is perhaps BBM feels confident enough that he'll get enough out of the West that even if we have estrangement with China, anyway, China is going to be plugged out of the Western system. Mm. We can be with the, with, the, with the Western system. That's one argument I'm hearing. And I'm surprised. Well, because service economy, because service economy, and because we're geared as a service economy, we are really going to rely more on the United States if we're going to if if the BPO strategy is still going to obtain. It no, but really, the BPO and all will will be my AI Latin. That's true. So mm. so we're I'm talking about like for instance, the Philippines has thirty billion dollar exports of semiconductors, but like the lower levels, right? So we want to move up that. Like I I know that Philippines is known for just services or whatever, but actually we have a decent manufacturing base export oriented manufacturing base and we want to elevate that so the big question right now is do you want to join the uh, uh cptpp no yung, yung tpp in us that and japan let do you want to join the uh, indo-pacific economic framework because once we join those things it will be a very kind of americanized way of doing trade mm -hmm. and approaching mm -hmm. industrialization and all so my fear leloy is the day will come soon that the Philippines not only will have to make some big choices, but our space for industrial policy will be even farther. choice. Inevitably, we are going to have to join these trading blocks because no matter how strong kind of nationalist discourse is in the Philippines around free trade, and you see it even in President Marcos, we talked about it, right? Um, he is very hesitant to. He was very hesitant to join the RCEP and. So was his sister because there there is this kind of if you like neo mercantilist tradition in the Mar in the Marcos family, but wala na pipilitan eh because otherwise may iwan eh. and I understand that see you said you know sleepless nights that 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 probably causes sleepless nights um in, in the Marcos camp and so inevitably these these kind of forces that are larger with us I think are just gonna bring us naturally into that fold and we're gonna just have, gonna have to deal with it I, I think and I that's think, the tech part this no? is one exact this I think unfortunately this is a one case of Tina there is no alternative uh, I don't know if I if so I'm Thatcher so Thatcher of you um no no but this, this is the other thing I want to say Leloy is uh I kind of and now I'm gonna be bashed again for this so the new term I'm kind of interested in is JAFUS, right? So everyone talks about AUKUS, Australia, mm -hmm. US. I like that. Oh, oh, oh. So now JAFUS, and it's kind of getting into the conversation right now. So I like I, it. I like it. I used I it the like other day, you know, Sila Henry Kissinger and Kausofko. The other day I used it uh, in the media, etc. Um, I think people like it. Uh, friends from India, from I US, like it. They kind of pick it up. This idea of Japan, Philippines, US trilateral alliance. This is looking more and more probable. So Connect How about Australia? How about Australia? Shouldn't you find a way to Australia, Australia is already super invested in AUKUS. They're going to spend $228 billion. And let's be honest, Australians are kind of snobbed to the Philippines, my sense is strategically. And we're kind of also snobbed to them. Like, what are they? Deputy sheriff lang ng US. Doon na tayo sa Amerikano. And Japan, bro. Japan, Japan. I mean, my goodness. Japan is so big in the Philippines. 80% of our ODA for info investment, according to Joke Nice from Japan alone, right? The first underground metro we'll have in Manila. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be 
from Japan. So so Japan is so big to the Philippines, even bigger this than This is a this is a kind of reunion of MacArthur's children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> So I think the historian in here is going to be giddy about it. So I think this Jaffus one is what I'm going to pay. So speaking of new Cold War, the Philippines is getting more and more. Uh, and the reason why I'm slightly optimistic about the Jaffus, of course, Japan has its own domestic problems, pacifist constitution, but, but it's because Pansin mo, Leloy, lahat ng mga presidente natin had good relations with Japan, which is exactly what we discussed with the podcast. So I think even if Sara Duterte or Tulfo or whoever next president, of course, Lenny too is the next president. Mabash na ako. I think they're great. I mean, si Lenny nga, Shogun na ngayon, di ba? Oh, oh, oh. Shogun na siya, di ba? Oh, oh. With Fuji, you know, Mount Fuji and all that. So, you know, my sense is if we play certain cards, I think this Jaffos could be one big thing. And why? Especially because of Taiwan. We're just... 100 nautical miles away from Taiwan, our naval base in Mavulis, uh, the the Diaoyu, uh, Okinawa islands yeah. are also very close to to Taiwan. So, whew, even if there's no war, and you know, like, and you know, like uh, we should we should actually not forget our cultural ties with Taiwan. I mean, oh yeah, really deep, right? For example, if you are Ivatan, you have natural ties with Taiwan. There are there are indigenous people in Taiwan who kind of practically share the native culture of the Ibatan. If you're Chinese Filipino, you know, there's a history, of course, of the education of Chinese Filipino being Chinese Filipinos being anchored on the Taiwanese model. And then of course Taiwanese are, are essentially Southern Chinese, a lot of them Hokkien speaking, very similar to our Chinese Filipinos. So there's there's a real affinity there. And we can't we can't extricate ourselves from that, but this is this is the right. kind of world we belong in. And, and there are two hundred thousand Filipinos at least in Taiwan, and Taiwan right. is uh, is responsible for 37 percent of entire computing power in the mm. world. In I mean, Taiwan is the like the giant. It's like a dwarf giant dynamo, right? In terms of mm. contribution to global economy, right? So. And and like a part of me, because I deal a lot with our Taiwanese friends. I used to be a visiting scholar, so like, like it's so weird. We don't we barely talk about Taiwan in the Philippines, right? Considering they're just so close to us and they're so important to the world. And God forbid the war happens, there's no escape from that geography and alliance with the U.S. Uh-huh. In, in an event of war, unless we end the alliance with U.S. now. Yeah. There's a kind of element here of, I think, you know, in, in many ways, destiny, geography, and previous geopolitics creating a destiny for us, regardless of who our president is. Like, one of the things we advocate in this podcast is to look outside the domestic politics and, and look how the world is determining what's happening here. So I know sa balitaktaka natin, it's, it's, it's so nice to say na, ito yung gagawin ni Lenny, ito yung gagawin ni Marcos, magkaiba na magkaiba yun because one yeah, is a good yeah, guy, one is a bad guy. And what we're saying here is actually, if you look at foreign policy, there are certain things that are happening that that, that will allow us to have some form of Continue. a coherent foreign policy regardless of who is in power just because of the way the world is structured right now just because of who our natural allies are who our historical allies are who 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 the people who will treat us well because i i honestly think that regardless of who the president is japan will treat us better than china and has historically treated us better than china and it's our politicians from lenny robredo to rafi tulfo as you say to to Ferdinand, to Ferdinand magellan jr they know they know this and uh in that sense you can think about, I know we're not realists here, but you can think of a Filipino foreign policy interest here that we can kind of have a sane discussion over. That's also why I like discussing foreign policy. Because we can become 
Filipinos in, in our discussion of foreign policy and not internal na magkakaaway. And, and you know this even better than me because we were based in Kyoto. There are many Japanese scholars who know the Philippines intimately. So there will not yes. be lack of nuanced understanding of the Philippines in ways that I think, unfortunately, China had. I think China has very few real scholars who understand the Philippines on its own yes. terms. But Japan... Yes. Uh, you know, I, I just... some I, I've spoken to many Chinese scholars of the Philippines who love the Philippines. And their frustration is Philippine studies in Japan, in China... It's not really Philippine studies. American it is security studies. studies. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah. security studies. In other words, they are trying to figure out the defense relationship with the Philippines, and they're trying to figure out the geopolitical relationship right. with the Philippines. There are very few scholars, like you know, Chinese scholars, like for example, Professor Bao Mahong, who really love the Philippines and who understand, who take the time to learn our language, understand our culture, and look at us not just as a kind of geostrategic entity. As, as part of a broader plan from China, but who look at that as a, as a people, right? And that that is, of course, right. in contrast to the way Japanese scholars view us. Japanese scholars, like, you know, you know, these are people who, who see us for who we are. And it's not to say that there are no Chinese scholars who do that. Professor Baumahonga, one of the great Chinese um, scholars of Philippine studies, but they are few and far between as and, compared. And, and of course, Lele, I also meant like uh, in terms of policy influence, right? Mm. Because my sense is they're Japanese Philippine scholars who have mm. policy influence. You know, I have students who are from Japanese foreign ministry, right? Who, mm. who I'm sure will be very influential in shaping their country's foreign policy towards us in the coming years and decades. No, so. Anyway, I know that you have to go, so maybe we have we can end this episode here because we want to talk about very shortly a little bit about oh. the Philippines, a little bit about the Bardagulan in the Philippines, and maybe a little oh. bit of honest discussion, maybe only 15 minutes or so. So thank oh, yeah, you yeah, yeah. Alele, for that. Uh, let's just end this episode on this note.